0: the ashes of the imperium
1: hello and welcome to ashes of the imperium my name is dan and once again i'm joined by the wonderful steve and today we are talking all about arcs of omen abaddon how are you steve i'm good very good excited what are you excited about uh, we
0: got a new narrative book, so it's um, right up our strasser.
1: Absolutely, and uh, we are big fans of all things narrative on this podcast. Uh, and we know that actually, it's not just one book; it's not just a narrative book. It's a narrative series. A um, I'm not sure it's a campaign series. I suppose it's it's more. It seems more of a like a narrative series that's focused on the events that are happening in the universe rather than anything else because we, we know it's got four books right we've got um so book one's Abaddon, that's what we're going to be talking about today we've got book two which is angron we've got book three which is vashtor who is the new kind of dark Mechanicum de- demonic entity thing um cool. which we've seen revealed on some of these uh warhammer tv things uh the, the warhammer community reveal shenanigans whatever whatever we're going to call them uh, and then a fourth one is an unknown book yet to be revealed um there have been rumors that it might be the return of a primarch potentially Lionel Johnson. Okay. Right. Uh but you know, I think uh I think everyone just wants him to come back. So anytime there's like mystery person, <laughs> yes, <laughs> steps up absolutely. Uh, but yeah, no, it seems to be it's it's quite interesting because it seems to be focused on on three different people. So it is all centered around the kind of the concept of the arcs of Omen, which we'll get to uh, in, uh, in in due course. But the, the fact that it's um, revolving around three to well f- four central characters um, does mean that I think we're going to get perhaps four different perspectives on roughly the same event. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: That makes sense. I think it's, um it, it, well, we all know that, well, we all know, we're all guessing that 10th edition is next summer. Um, so we need something to keep us going and keep the juices going um, for us narrative players. So yeah, I think it makes sense. We all, we all know Angron's on the way. We've, we've seen the pictures. Um, we've gawped at the stats. Um, so yeah, uh, how this is all going to play out. I think for me, what I really like about this one is um, we do really get a sense of what Abaddon is thinking. Um, and I think that's kind of a, uh, a hint at what perhaps these other books will be. You know, it's a real insight into their thoughts, their planning, their machinations, what, what's going on. So, yeah, a bit, a, bit, a bit more personal rather than perhaps in the past where it's been a bit um, and then this battled and then that battled and then this battled. So, yeah, I like it.
1: And and it does also bring a a new way to play in as well Um, for uh, fans of Kill Team who are perhaps a bit overwhelmed by the current state of 40k. It brings uh, quite a cool way to play, which is uh, boarding actions.
0: Yes, yes. So I I think for me, um, especially as um, the point size set for this is 500 points or in – ashes currency by the time you do your conversion that's 25 power level and that's our sweet spot that's where we live um we'll go through some of them all the restrictions and possibilities uh later on but it's uh fits really nicely for me um and and i think there's there's other things that they've done with it that i would definitely hope to see it being played quite a lot at the club when it comes out just as a really kind of a bit of a sorbet, a bit of a refresher from the, the normal super competitive games that they like to play there because many of them um, go to competitions and events. So um, they're very much, you know, looking to understand the, the latest book, how does that work and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think there's loads of possibility with this.
1: Totally. And I, I think that's, uh, that's an interesting one you pointed there about sort of club games um, is that especially if you are trying to uh, you know playing an evening or something like that then 500 points is is perfect for that like a, a small uh quick engagement uh especially if you're you know you're going down to your local scout hut or whatever it is you're doing um you know playing a full 2000 point game or 1750 point game of 40k it's it can take quite a long time especially after you consider you know setting up but setting up the tables if you have to terrain and all that jazz Uh, so to be able to do something that's still 40k you know it's not kill team and as we've discussed in the previous episode um with gary that the kill team rules are are very different it isn't just small scale 40k it's its own game with its own rule set um on its own having boarding actions does uh, does provide you with a scope to be able to get that 40 scratch that 40k itch whilst uh, keeping within time constraints that's cool yeah 100 percent so going uh I suppose into the uh, the, the main content of uh, of the narrative review of the book um Steve do you want to kind of start us off with uh, with a broad overview yeah
0: um I mean I, th- I think to start with uh, what I'd be keen to share with everyone is that like well over half the book is Background and law, um, so there's loads here for us to pull apart, uh, loads for us to pick out some actions and some sh- some arcs, some ships that we want to do. Um, but ultimately, it kicks off uh, pretty much where we left off before, um, with the narrative books that we had, the uh, Nagmunt Gauntlet, and basically the the fact that through there, Abaddon and his fleets have been smashing their way through um and have kind of come out the other side and we we really get to see how he has to constantly manage all the forces that he has um he's he's adamant that you know he, he is not a worshiper of the gods he is just a leader of chaos Um, But he has to kind of keep everyone in balance.
1: Um, (laughs) I love how the more you describe it, you're describing less of the war master of chaos, you know, Abaddon, the despoiler and all that. There's a more kind of slightly tired middle manager of a kind of, um, you know, I'm thinking like David Brent-esque or whatever the US equivalent of the office is. You know, just like holding his hands to his temples and be like, oh, you rascals! Why have you plagued me so?
0: <laughs> I, I, I think, I think for me, you know, uh, as someone who is, you know, the the ultimate warlord, the tyrant, and uh, he he does not have ultimate power. He has to balance it. And yeah, you're right. You know, he has probably got a spreadsheet somewhere, hasn't he? That he has to make sure everything's gonna to work out. Otherwise, people have to go and see
1: HR. I think Abaddon, the spoiler, as Michael Scott from The Office or David Brent, is is probably like the peak kind of undermining of any narrative character that's ever happened because it's <laughs> <laughs> this epic baddie, and we've just like in one swift stroke, we've ruined his credibility. Um, what I do like about this book, though, is that um, it does give you more of an insight into into Abaddon as a character. You know, he he is he, he's kind of gone from this kind of like a bit of a joke you know like how many black crusades have you done you know all this stuff to to actually yeah. he he's being portrayed as this like real genuine threat to to the galaxy to the imperium um and, and i like that it's he's not this kind of like mustache twirling um dastardly evil baddie that constantly you know gets uh you know like the roadrunner he's not like a wily guy, <laughs> <is> he, having <laughs> a, an anvil dropped on him or tnt like <laughs> switching back to his feet or something um there's a few little lines in there, which I, I quite like. Um, Abaddon says, uh, when I strike at terror, it will be a, a, from a position of absolute strength. I will offer them neither battle nor siege. There will only be the fall of the headman's axe, certain, final and singular. Um, which I think is cool because the, the whole point he was making there was that, that Horus kind of p- potentially overstretched himself, overcommitted, went straight for terror, went straight for the throat and uh, and ultimately was was unsuccessful. And I think he he likes to kind of see himself as uh, in the same way that you just said there as as not a puppet of the gods, also not kind of beholden to the failures of his father. Yes, which I yes, think is I- a, a really cool kind of um, like, like take on it. You know, the fact that he's like um, you know the arrogance of the Primarchs was uh, you know was their failing and was ultimately Horus's failure and downfall. Um, and he he kind of is, is trying to distance himself from that.
0: Yes. Yeah, and I I think I think that quote you did I mean there is still this absolute belief that he is the man to get this done and it will happen um even though like I say there's been so many black crusades that haven't quite made it um but but yeah and and I think uh, the inclusion of this new character it's kind of like his, his the way that he appears it's very much like you can imagine Ab- abaddon going oh what now <laughs> what now have i got to go and sort out um,
1: But even <laughs> yeah, that, i'm gonna have you- to create a new tab on my spreadsheet ah oh.
0: exactly <laughs> exactly exactly but even then you know he's very pragmatic in where and how he interacts with this guy i mean do you want to give us a description of kind of what what we're what we're looking at here? No, I mean not just in we've seen the model, but what do we what do we know about this?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I suppose. But before I do the, let's sort of set the context. Um, the, the first you know the first few pages of the books has this um, this little uh, uh, in the same way that a lot of the 40k books has a kind of like um, a scene setting, uh, and this is uh you know written across across a single page, uh, in this kind of really cool gothic font, font down one column, and it says uh, the galaxy writhes like a wounded beast. Tormented by the infected sores of countless warp-storms, it laments in agony. While the forces of the Imperium Sanctus fight tooth and nail to regain control, the worlds of the Imperium Nihilus endure besiegement by nightmares uncounted. The forces of Chaos attack on every front, from the Nackman Gauntlet to the Caridon Sector. Alien races battle furiously for survival, or rampage across the stars in orgies of conquest and destruction. Yet no one faction can truly gain mastery. Every victory and defeat only sees the Inferno rage hotter. Abaddon the Despoiler has not laboured for thousands of years to see his long war end in mutual annihilation. His hands move unseen through the shadows on secret and diabolical missions. His legions of sorcerers and crypto-magi pour over every shred of arcane lore and prophetic utterance ever gathered. Hunting for some esoteric advantage that will allow the War Master to seize decisive control of the conflict, Abaddon desires a secret weapon to unleash upon the Imperium of Man, and he will tear apart time and space if he must secure it. And for me, that's like that. Just kind of brings this uh, this whole kind of the, the whole purpose of this book, the, the the narrative of this book. It kind of like that sets the scene. It's just like he. Is gonna he, he absolutely is aimed at terror and he's absolutely down for uh whatever must happen in order to achieve that. So the fact that he uh ultimately is going to, I suppose, like come come up with a, a bit of a like an alliance with this demon, vashtor vashtor the the Archophane as, as he's known. Um, I think that goes to kind of sh- show his his like pragmatism is yeah. that you know when, when vashtor does does arrive on the scene, um. He is just about to like dismiss him and annihilate him, and he's kind of and, and whatever it is, you know, it says like you know, whatever twist of fate, you know, st- stayed his finger on the trigger. Um, you know, he, he enters into this kind of uneasy alliance, and you do uh, you do spend the book kind of thinking like, hmm, wh- wh- like when's the when's the dastardly twist? You know, when's Vashil? Yeah. You know, he's Vashil is sold as this kind of very. Again, I'm going to use the word pragmatic again. And, and actually quite like Abaddon, you know, I'm not beholden to a single god. Um, I don't want that. And he's he's he doesn't appear to be trying to trick Abaddon or like get him to enter into a bargain, that kind of thing. Um, and you, you are that thinking like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, <laughs> it's not going to go well.
0: Yeah, because, uh, um, you know, Abaddon tries to test Vashtor and kind of sort of sense where's the treachery, where's the... Um, where's it going to come from? And and actually, at, at every twist and turn, he does what he says he's going to do, or he's truthful. And I think, in some ways, that kind of catches Abaddon out a little bit. And yeah.
1: Yeah. If you can, if you can, uh, you know, catch out a, uh, the War Master of Chaos, it certainly, it certainly put him on the back foot, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but it still doesn't trust him at all. No. You know, no, no, let's, no. Let's, let's be clear. He's, he's, he's not been, um, beguiled or is is, is, is this you know it's like so we should probably explain um this this thing that's mentioned right at the beginning this 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 weapon this ultimate thing because that ultimately is driving the narrative and driving these arcs and what's happening with them
1: yeah what what is the MacGuffin that they are chasing steve
0: there we go so our vashtor brings with him the knowledge of um, a collection of powerful artifacts and items um, that can be brought together to create this in- incredibly powerful um, weapon we assume it's a weapon this incredible powerful thing um, and these uh, I-, I call them items because it doesn't sound very sexy or very you know um, because actually not all of them are I mean, some of them are literally, you know, um, sacred artefacts of the Imperium that are hidden in fortress planets, in vaults guarded by huge swathes and thousands of guard. Um, Some of them are, and yet some of them are literally buried in a ground in a hole somewhere. So we don't really know how Vashtor knows this information, but he's basically offering this up as this is why I'm here, and he kind of needs the Chaos Fleet and the forces of Chaos to help achieve this. And this is kind of the bargain that um, he 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 pulls together with Abaddon. And uh, and these treasures, these these goals, are actually scattered all over the place. They're, no, they they're called
1: key fragments, and that is the that is the ultimate kind of the, the I suppose that's the quest. Uh, if you were to to use a computer game term, that's the quest that the NPC Vastor has given your main character Abaddon. <laughs> yes. Um and in, and, and in the tavern, w- in the tavern, absolutely. <laughs> with a, appears with a big question mark over his head, um, <laughs> but uh, with combining all these key fragments that are scattered across the universe. Um, you know, Vashtor and an Abaddon can can create, you know, a, a kind of imperium destroying weapon.
0: Yes, and, and part of Vashtor's kind of proof of who he is is he's been repairing and improving. Um, first of all, the craft that he appears on, but also kind of shows that through his technomancy or his powers, is that he's helping to create these arcs, these huge collections of broken wrecks and yeah. space they hulks.
1: Are, they, they, that's all they are at the first, isn't it? The Arks of Omen are just space hulks, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and they're kind of like, they are just space hulks that are found within the warp, and then they're repurposed using uh, Vastor's um, kind of... Crazy techno science and uh, and a bit of uh, of the Black Legion and kind of the War Master's uh, forces upgraded them and they're basically then turned into kind of like almost like living weapons, you know. And as as you say, you know, when when uh, when vashtor first appears on the uh, Vengeful Spirit, the flagship, that is uh that's how he's introduced, right? So yeah. um, you know, Abaddon's just cruised around the Vengeful Spirit doing his thing, um, and suddenly like all the lights start flickering, um, you know, all the all the temperature thermometers start saying it's you know, cold or whatever and all the computer screens start flashing and you know all that all that the usual stuff you know usual kind of like witchery witchy poo nonsense you're thinking yeah. oh no something bad's happening um so he goes to investigate um there's all sorts of crazy like um mechanical me things dark mechanical me things happening um and vashtor appears and it and he basically kind of is like oh you know sup abaddon i'm here i'm gonna be a bro um and uh what does he say? He says, Abaddon the spoiler, I am Vashtor the Archophane, and I come to make you an offer. Which is uh which is a pretty like bold um claim just to like manifest himself onto the ventral spirit. Yeah. Um, in front of Abaddon the Spoiler, because it's a gamble, isn't it? But that's what I like about Vashtor so far, is that he he's got that kind of like cold, calculating energy that that works for something that's like a dark mechanicum demon you know he yeah. he's a he's ultimately a an entity that thinks like a computer you know he would have he would have planned it meticulously and you see a little bit of that plan in the in the kind of like flashback a uh, bit of um bit of narrative um and i like that i think it's cool it, it kind of it helps flesh out this character and, and you know bearing in mind this is a character that i don't think we've ever heard of we've certainly uh, the first i've heard of it i don't think it's ever been mentioned before you know everyone's familiar with the dark mechanicum. But no one's heard of Vastor, And I think when you're introducing a new character like this, uh, with a kind of like a, a brand new model, um, you know, he's going to be the the equivalent of an Abaddon the Spoiler model for for the range. You know, l- let's hope this is a whole new range of plastic Mechanicum Dark Mechanicum that's coming out. That's going to be super cool if that happens. Um, but if you're going to introduce a character, you need something that people can get behind. Um, and just having him as like you know, he's a another bird-headed demon that speaks in riddles, or he's a like yeah. slightly giggling fat thing that like likes disease, and it's just kind of like you know, those are great tropes for those you know those chaos gods. But you want something that's unique. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I like I like what I've seen so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. And, and I think I think um, the other really important thing that he brings is that through his construction powers that each of these arcs also carries a warp portal with it. Sometimes they're inside it, sometimes they're behind it, sometimes they're underneath it um, I don't, I'm not sure the, uh, the the reasons for those, um, but they are really important because um, we find out that uh, I think a lot of these um, space hulks are kind of thrown out if you like, towards their target system, planet, moon, whatever it is. I don't necessarily see them being, you know, highly maneuverable warships. No,
1: it's kind of like, almost like a kamikaze suicide mission, isn't it? Very
0: much so. Very much so. And and even down to, you know, often the plan is um, it's kind of a uh, uh, Cincinnati shuffle where they'll send in a load of troops from the the space Hulk, they'll be fighting on the surface when really the main assault is actually happening deep inside the vault. And actually all the forces will, will die. They'll be overrun. The most important thing is you grab the key artifact, you get back to the portal. And as far as that's that, that's job done. Yeah. Don't don't need to to about getting anyone back. Don't need to to about getting the ship, the ship back, the arc back. As long as you get the artifact
1: job done totally right. and actually for the for the second time in in i think well less the last episode but the episode before i'm going to mention rogue one <laughs> it's it's got a rogue one-esque vibe of like as long as you stick this usb stick into the satellite dish and and um, <laughs> upload the data for the um the death star then uh and it doesn't matter that the the mission fails right or, or yeah. you know or everyone dies because the mission hasn't failed and i think that kind of goes back to what we said about earlier about like abaddon is willing to tear apart time and space if he's going to secure it that you know the Archophane has promised him this weapon that he's calling of the key and all these key fragments need to be collected um and the more key fragments that they have the the more the better the chances are that they're going to get this this weapon the the key um you know up and running or, or whatever it is so um abaddon kind of often uses like his kind of sneaky ways and he and he gets helps you know brings in the uh the alpha legion into it which i quite liked um yeah uh this great little uh flavor text here of, lastly and most insidiously the despoiler made a secret pact with a number of alpha legion operatives who then infiltrated almost every bale fleet and a bale fleet is basically they send an arc and a whole bunch of like normal kale ships going kind to of follow it um uh, it would be their task to ensure that key fragment acquisition occurred even should everything else uh, go awry, what reward the Alpha Legionnaires were promised for their services remain between them and Abaddon. Um, so ultimately, Abaddon is using these um, these kind of repurposed space hawks called Arkzobin, launch them into sectors where they know the key fragments exist and securing them. And he's kind of used the kind of the promise of glory and the promise of greatness and all that jazz, uh, and and indeed command of of, of, of a bale fleet as. Um, as like justification to to get all these various different um renegades and uh, and warbands to kind of united under his banner um because like going back to what you were saying earlier like it's it's not a, a unified effort you know Abaddon isn't sat there as the head of a very disciplined uh force sure he's got his inner circle and you've got all the black legion and their kind of um like their various different factions. But even within within them there's there's kind of like warring factions. But then you've then got all the kind of countless smaller bands of renegades and, and heretics that are kind of vaguely aligned to I guess they're all chaotic aligned. They're all chaos aligned, but they're yeah. not necessarily all aligned to exactly what Abaddon wants. Um but he doesn't care. He's like, cool, like you can even pretend to to be into this and and just like go off and do your own thing. But to, to Abaddon, he doesn't care because as long as he gets the key fragments, then that's, that's you know, he's, he's topping up that, that quest completion percentage rate above the uh, question mark.
0: Exactly. Get that pie chart looking better on his spreadsheet.
1: Oh, oh yeah, on the spreadsheet. Yeah, he's got, <laughs> he, he's got his new tab. It's the, <laughs> the Archophane slash key tab. And uh, it's just topping up that spreadsheet.
0: Interestingly, though, the, uh, there's kind of a hint that the Archophane says that it doesn't necessarily need every single one. But it just needs enough. Yes. So you kind of wonder if, you know, if you don't have enough, but you try and jury-rig it, could it blow up? Oh, I don't know. It's just hinting at something there. So again, I think uh, it's just um, little story seeds that are being left here for us to discover. And yeah, we've got three other books to, to do that in. So I don't imagine we're going to get everything nailed straight away.
1: No, no, th- there are some... I, I do like a, a, a we do like a little story narrative seed, don't we? And um, there's a yeah. there's a good one here, which is um, talking about the Bale fleets. Um, and as I said, the, the, the Bale fleets is uh, the Bale fleets are, is a term used to describe, I suppose, the the overall force, um, which is the the Ark of Omen gets launched out of um, out of the warp into real space, and then accompanied by all the various you know hangers on of of the uh, the Chaos fleet. Um, it's interesting that it says that the, the arcs of Omen themselves almost act as like a bit of a beacon in the warp, which allows all the chaos ships to kind of follow them through the warp and into real space, uh, which I thought was quite cool. But so here you go. So no two bale fleets were the same in composition, instead being made up of whichever champions and warbands had rallied to the banner of a particular arc's master. Some of those followers were loyal, whether due to blood oaths, bonds of faith or simply out of fear. Others cast avaricious eyes upon the arcs and fought in the shadows only in the hopes of seizing command for themselves. So again, that kind of like, uh, you know, backstabby chaos, it reminds me of the Skaven, I suppose, in Warhammer Fantasy or Age of Sigmar. Um, but yeah, uh, go back to that point of Abaddon doesn't care that they're fighting amongst each themselves because the whole point is essentially maybe being a bit of a, a dis- distraction to get the, um, the, the key artifact, the key fragment. So, for example, the, the ogre, for instance, a, a, an archivoman, the ogre, for instance, was captained by Lord Gorthorg the Blighted and garrisoned by his Nurgle-worshipping renegade chapter, the Sons of Rot. Sailing alongside the ogre were the ships of the Traitorous and Morbidax Regiments, or, the, sorry, the Traitorus Morbidax Regiments, um, the gruesome renegade knights of House Nor, Archmagus Ovlotsk's vivisector squadrons... Ooh... Archmagoths, Vivisector Squadrons. I mean, I don't even know what that is. That sounds horrible. And the vessels (laughs) of the Plague Crows and Vermin Guard renegade warbands. The latter two forces were longtime rivals, each of whose champions only offered allegiance to Lord Gullthorg so as to avoid their sworn enemies being the ones to gain his sole favor. By comparison, Iron Warrior's warsmith, uh, Ser um, or, or Zagra, not sure that that's C-silent, um, Zagra's uh, formed a fleet around his Ark Herald of Misery, consisting entirely of subservient Iron Warriors warbands, Oathsworn Titan Legios, and enslaved mortal cults. United by Legion loyalty and fear of reprisals, these forces followed Zagra's commands unquestionably and made his Fleet one of the most lethally efficient in the first wave. Um, so what I like about that, apart from just kind of it being a cool story, um, is that it provides you, as a player, if you are chaos aligned, to have a huge amount of scope for modelling potential or, um, you know, creating your own narrative. You know, if if you're a Thousand Suns player, but you're thinking, oh, I'd like quite like to kind of expand a little bit and maybe. You know, maybe build a instead of just doing a pure Thousand Suns force. Maybe add some cool like Death Guard models. You can do that. You can be like, right, cool. So this uh this Ark of Omen, this Bale Fleet consists of you know a portion of Death Guard models and some um you know Chaos Cultists that look more normal rather than like being like Zici Cultists. And you can add in a couple of Death Guard and then just run it as like Chaos Space Marines. Um, or if you do want to go pure, kind of like oh, I really want to have this like maybe you want to do a Herald of Misery Bale Fleet force and just have an Iron Warriors. Uh, warband that's cool but again it allows you to be like cool i'm not just gonna have iron warriors i'm gonna have iron warriors and some renegade guard who are all techie maybe you're gonna use like um necromunda models um something like the um the enforcers could look quite techie um maybe you're gonna use um like skitarii um with uh, some conversions and run them as like renegade guard whatever like it allows you to just kind of buy into that narrative with a really cool uh, thematic force and it's a thematic force that fits the existing narrative rather than being like oh I really want to get involved in this uh, Omen nonsense but uh my my force doesn't fit
0: yeah yeah i I, I think there is so many of these little snippets and side stories um that kind of'll say give you permission but c- give you the opportunity to say you know, my force has got a place. So there's a great one here, a little box out. We all enjoy a box out on this show, um, but it's called The Diamond Talon. Oh,
1: I've literally got that up in front of me. <laughs> That's so good. That is so good, that one. <laughs> uh,
0: the Arcs of Omen were still space for all their adaptations. So still sources both danger and potential archaeotech riches. Many renegade bands Given charge of the vessels, continue to fight battles against monstrous denizens within their own flagships and explore the inner depths, hoping to unearth powerful arcana. Nor were they alone in this. Like parasites feeding on ocean-going leviathans, forces of raiders from many races risk slipping aboard the arcs by cunning or stealth in search of riches. One such boarding party were the Aldari corsairs of the Diamond Talon, whose raid upon the Ark. Devourer of Hope was so successful that they found themselves within the chance to strike at its command center and cripple the vessel. Envisaging the carnage and disruption the Ark would cause amidst local Imperial Navy patrols, the Aldari pirates instead withdrew and left the renegades to their bloodshed, certain they would be able to capitalize upon it. So that's just... So cool. Um, let's let's play that fight. You know, let's game that fight out and um, wait until you you get to the bridge and then decide what you're going to do. I, I think, yeah. So uh, this, this this there's lots of these in this book, and they're all inspirational for how you can bring your force. And I think this whole idea that it's 25 power level 500 points, everybody we'll have some models somewhere <laughs> to play and also it might be something there's there's that force that you just started or there's that thing you never finished and actually I'd like to get them out and play with them because they would be cool in this setting but they're not necessarily you know efficient for match play or whatever it is um so yeah, uh, I'm expecting to see some dusty models trampsing <laughs> through the yeah uh, through the
1: corridors. I'm certainly I'm certainly the 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 force I've I've chosen, which we'll get to in a second, um, is actually a, a, an abandoned project um, for <laughs> for exactly that reason. Although, so I, I just going to touch on that diamond talon little snippet there. I think for for me the that single kind of snip out breakout box, whatever we're going to call it, um, provides it's just proof that it provides you as a player whatever uh, scope for whatever army you want, because so there's two aspects of that, of not only does it say that, you know, the arcs are still space hulks. And so sources of both danger and potential uh, architect riches. So both within the space hulks, you could have like, like a random little tyranid um, infestation. Uh, you could have um, any number of races could have got lost in the warp. And then, um, found themselves in a kind of like compartmented area of this space hulk and and these arcs of over, they're not they're not like fully cleared. They're not like completely won over. Basically the the chaos forces kind of defeat whatever enemies are inside, whether demonic or other or otherwise, enough to take control of the space hulk. Yes. And then launch it into real space. you know kind of like fifty percent of it could be like completely overrun with gene stealers, but they don't care because as long as they like closed the doors and, and locked it behind them, they just leave that section of the spacehole be. Um, so that allows you as a player to be like, cool. Well, what 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 could exist? You know, maybe like a team of uh, like leagues of votan, uh, see the space Hulk and try and uh, launch themselves into it to to get into the uh to the the archaeotech riches. Um, or maybe there's some Tyranids in there, as I said, or maybe there's like a lost a lost Astro Militarum detachment that just kind of went missing in the warp and never appeared. You know, maybe they, maybe they're still, you know, maybe their ship is like docked onto this space arc as well. Um, and then the, the kind of the forces of radar, ra- radars, ra- raiders. Uh, yeah. the forces of radars, um, who may or may not have radar themselves, uh, the forces <laughs> of radars, you could have like orc, an orc commando force, you could have any like version of Eldari, um, you know, you could have like a Tau Pathfinder force, you know, all these kind of things. Just something that could exist that could interact with the arcs of Omen. And that's, and that's why I like that one so much is not only is it a cool story, uh, but also, it, as you say, it gives you permission to say, like, yeah, why is this kind of chaos versus Imperium thing? Why does that involve your Tau Force? Why does that involve your Tyranid yeah. Force?
0: Yeah. And even down to actually how the story pans out, because it's not straight away that the Imperium kind of clock what's going on here. Um, Because many of these um, bell fleets are going to sort of random places, it takes a little while for them to clock that actually they are going to um, predetermined locations. And then then they start to go, well, what's there? What don't we know? So I think even down to having a game where, you know, there's a small group of primaris or a small group of, Inquisition that are trying to sneak aboard, that are trying to get to the command center to try and understand—is there anything here? It doesn't have to be a full-on assault of you know elite terminators from whatever chapter. You know, it, it can be a bit sneaky. It can be so. Yeah, I, th- I think I think for me the the setup for the games is is super solid.
1: What an excellent segue! Talking of games, into. Boarding actions. Yes, yes. Um, so, in boarding actions, there are. Uh, it's as Steve said. It's it's 500 point games set in the, um, like essentially set in the terrain that came out with um with the new season of Kill Team. Um, there are a number of tweaks. So, first of all, there's a number of of kind of rules tweaks. So, you, there's things like uh, setting Overwatch. So, um, you know, people who have played various previous games of 40k or Space Hulk or, or New Kill Team will, will be familiar with Overwatch. Um, you, basically, you can get things to shoot things out of their turn. Um, there's things like operating hatchway, like opening doors and things like that. Um, that all exists.
0: Um, that, that, sorry, just to interrupt there. Opening yeah, yeah. hatchway is a funny one because if somebody's on the other side, it's a bit of a strength test to see who can open the door. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> so it could. It could.
0: <laughs> so just imagine some poor little uh, guardsman manages to roll great, and some hunking great, gene stealer on the other side fails. He's just like, "So, right, lads, I've got this. I've got this." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I do like that. I, I think it's cool that it's um, the, the, there's a uh, there's ways of using this terrain that was originally designed for K in forty K. Although I do have a I do have a point on that later, perhaps. Um, uh, so going back back to the rules, there's uh, stratagems specific stratagems for boarding actions. Um, but interestingly, in boarding actions, you can't use any other stratagems apart from those with the boarding action label. So you strip out all the normal forty k stratagems, and you can only use boarding action stratagems, which is is crazy. And there's three in this book.
0: Yeah, super streamlined.
1: Um, and again there's um you can't use any warlord traits or relics instead when you select a boarding patrol which is the detachment that you you use in boarding uh actions uh, your warlord can be given a single boarding action enhancement from the list below uh, name characters cannot be given a boarding action enhancement um, so again you know one are the things that we that we've spoken about about being essentially frustrating about current uh, state of, of ninth edition, it is the, I guess, the bloat, the rules bloat of stratagems and all these various different enhancements. Not only is this game smaller in, in points and, and, you know, it's quicker, uh, but also it's more streamlined and there's less rules bloat because it's cut out some of that stuff. Um, it also allows you to to think of, of different um, things because you might be thinking, oh, right, so this this X unit in, in you know, Astro Militarum is absolutely broken because of this really cool stratagem. Strategy I'm going to take it in match play games because it's amazing. Um, suddenly, you You don't have access to the stratagem, So that that unit might suddenly be not as you know. If you are very competitively focused, um, it might not be as, as appealing, and it might make you look at other um, other units, uh, un, you know, in a, in a new light.
0: Yeah, there'll be there'll be strong and powerful units under this rule set, under this meta, if you want to call it that. So, I mean, so one of the real caps on things is like uh, the, the patrol detachment is literally. Zero to one HQ, zero to three troops, and zero to three elites. So that's pretty flexible there. Um, but there's also caps on unit sizes as well, aren't there? Done.
1: Yeah, there are, um, and um, you can't use certain types as well. So, uh, and even not only that, you can't even uh, take the same elite unit twice. Um, yes. So um, you can't have monsters, vehicles, jump pack, cavalry, biker fly and you can only include one character yeah. um so that's 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 quite restrictive you know that is that is very restrictive but it also i think that will make for some really cool and uh, a thematic like like battle force style armies you know the kind of thing that if if it i heard someone say recently like um if it looks like an army it's probably not very good um <laughs> and uh <laughs> But actually it was, oh. a, it was a match play player talking about um, Age of Sigmar. <laughs> um, but I think that's quite interesting because I think sometimes you do see, you know, t- very tournament match play focused armies and they don't, they don't look and feel like a kind of the kind of army you would see on a, a spread of a white dwarf, you know, that kind of thing. They they look very much like it is this unit, um, you know, min maxed or, or whatever. Um, so I, I feel like this boarding patrol detachment creates the space to, to see armies that, that do look a little bit more thematic, I suppose.
0: I, I think it's a, it seems to be, I've not had a chance to play it yet, but it seems to be a a, a careful set of curbs on rules here. I mean, another one is unit size as well. And if your unit comes uh, sizes less than five, then you have to keep it your minimum size. If your unit size um, is between five and 10, you can have it at 10. But if a unit cannot, is a starting strength of ten or more models, you can't use them. So there won't be lots of hordes running about. So again, I, I, I definitely see that as being a way of of breaking the game because things like um, the way line of sight works, the way you can't charge anything you can't see, um, uh, how you get to shoot and fight, um, it, it, it's going to be fast, brutal impactful um but that's a that's a boarding action right
1: yeah that's exactly what you want that, that kind of vibe so talking of fast brutal what uh what army did you make so i assume you've you've gone for a 25 power like I've me gone, you I've you kept. slightly mugged off the 500 point thing because it was quite a uh, quite difficult to 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 add the points together
0: numbers get quite high for me so um
1: yeah as soon as you start going over you know 25 is okay because i can i can take my socks off and get to 20 and then count the last five in my head like that's about as far as i can go
0: so actually what i've gone for is and and the weirdest thing is it ends up at 24 power level um is uh ben my son and i have been doing a um, tale of Two War Gamers, um, where in fact uh, we've nicked this idea from Mitzi and Ben when um, they were doing it during lockdown. In that we buy a box of models each month for the other person, and the idea is that you give them something they wouldn't normally do. So this isn't designed to be two thousand point army. It's literally a fun painting project. Um, so Ben bought for me something I wouldn't have necessarily picked. But what I've really been enjoying is reading the Black Library book and getting to know them a bit more is some Black Templar. Ooh.
1: Um,
0: Mainly he's picked me things which are punchy because I don't normally, I'm a bit more shooty. And and to be honest, it's a bit refreshing after obviously being a lot of work with my guard and stuff. So um, what I have for, and again, it just works out nicely in that it's one troop, one HQ and one elite at the moment. So we've got... Chaplain Grimaldus, and obviously he's got his lackeys with him carrying the goodies. So what I'm really hoping is that it doesn't turn out that one of those happens to be a key fragment, but we will find out probably in another book. Um, I've got the Primaris Crusader squad, and then I've got Sword Brethren. So a few guns and then some hitty sticks and then some absolute tanks to hold that corridor off. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things. It's like, well, that's what I've got. Let's see what it adds up to. And, and yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to to bring them out. I think there's a few more units coming for January, February. But right now I've got those. Um, the Sword Brethren only arrived for this week, so they need painting. The others are 80% painted. Um, so, yeah, I should be good for the new year and playing with those. Awesome. What
1: about you, Dan? So I also went for Astartes. Mine were slightly more plague flavoured than Crusade flavoured oh. though. Mm. So um I, I I I do like Death Guard. I love the model range. It's an amazing model yeah. range for HK. Um, it's an army that I've kind of bought a bunch of before and then kind of never got around to it and sold it on. Um uh hilariously i did also buy the christmas box set with mortarian and a whole bunch of death guard in it um just because i thought oh yeah well maybe i'll buy the box set and and Mortarian's is just such a good model so yeah um i kind of bought that and I've, I've i've put that in my kind of like uh hobby cupboard for now thinking i'll i'll hold off like, opening it all up first in case because what i'm going to do is i'm going to build this 25 power um force and then and then consider maybe expanding out into 40k yeah. and if i don't i can always you know uh stick the box on ebay um so i decided to build a little death guard force to to kind of start me off so i went for a, a malignant plague caster as my uh, as my warlord because uh, i thought it would be cool to uh you know use psychic powers um often psychic some of the issues you can have with psychic powers is that it's quite tough to get your your psycha within range to do like a cool witch fire. You know, or maybe they're just on their own. They can get like shot off the board um, by something powerful at the other end of the board. I thought this way you can have uh, it. Kind of, it's nice, close up, personal, brutal. Can start setting things on witchy poo fire uh, with my playcaster. Yes. Um, and then I just kind of went for a... <laughs> it was like a little uh, a picnic, uh, pick a mix box of um, of plague marines and uh, or, or death guard units. So I went for a unit of plague marines. Yep. I went for a unit of uh, cultists. Yeah. a unit of poxwalkers and a unit of terminators blight lord terminators
0: mm.
1: so um it's plenty I of ca- bodies yeah it's it's actually it's quite and it is 25 power but that's that's you know for for 4 power between the 4 power of the poxwalkers and the cultists you get you get 20 bodies um i do wonder whether it's too many bodies for you know for potentially quite cramped um spaces so i could always um i could always uh tweak it but um i kind of what i wanted was i i had in my mind of like the uh this kind of like wave um attack kind of thing of like you know that they 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 might first seed the uh and and actually what i was thinking i wasn't actually thinking of um uh you know the kind of the arcs of omen like the assaults of the uh uh, on the planets clearly i was thinking about the boarding actions themselves so uh, in my mind this is kind of pre perhaps potentially pre Ark of omen heading off this is them clearing out the uh the space hulk and getting it ready so the first they send in the pox to kind of like trigger any traps or, or find out where the <laughs> enemy are uh, and these are just like the shambling zombies right um then they send in the cultists um so i thought what well, that would be a cool way to kind of um maybe use some of the like the the, the renegade guard models from Blackstone Fortress, but kind of nurgle them up a little bit, you know, put loads of rust on their weapons, that kind of thing. And then they send in the Plague Marines. And then if there's anything massive, they can then send in the Blight Lord Terminators. So it's a kind of like sequential kind of wave uh, vibe that I was going for.
0: Love it. Because actually one of the enhancements is a personal teleporter. So you could, you could definitely use that on the Terminators because it's uh, this, this ability, says when the bearer arrives from strategic reserves you can set up wholly within your own entry zones or anywhere on the battlefield more than nine away from enemy models so yeah i love it dan and i think i think for me i've I've played a couple of games with kind of narrow corridors or and and it really does change how units perform and i really like the idea of you know maybe my sword brethren trying to hack through all of the pox walkers and it's not that i'm gonna take much damage but it gives you the time to get into position or it gets time for you to get to the furnace or the control room. And, and it's absolute, you know, valid tactic for that. So I, I, yeah, no, I think there's, I think there's actually probably quite a lot of really interesting lists out there.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't think though, just to to sort um, sort of double check, I don't think the malignant playcaster can arrive from strategic reserves i don't think he has like terminator armor for Uh a teleporter um and the boarding action enhancements you're referring to um can come are given to the warlord not a unit so i wouldn't be able to give them to my my terminators right Um, that would be something bad yes and however i could you know potentially um you know, take a take a unit like a, an HQ that could deploy uh, in, from strategic reserves. Um, I'd have to refer to my codex to double check whether like something like the Lord of Contagion has it, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, like that. That would be cool. You know, imagine like you know having your forces held up by a bunch of po- Poxwalkers only to find like the Lord of Contagion or maybe um, you know whatever it is like from coming up f- uh, from behind, like teleporting. That'd be cool.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've got our forces. What are the missions about, Dan?
1: Well, so the missions, and this—I suppose this is—this um, is probably where, like, my kind of main criticism uh, comes from. Uh, the missions look cool. Um, there's all these, you know, there's objective marker missions, and and you know, the, the missions themselves are, are seem cool. Um, my frustration is that this rule set has clearly been designed to be used with the kill team kind of terrain, the, the space hulk type terrain that they've uh, they've brought out. Um, but there exists already exists a kind of corridor, corridor battle terrain within Games Workshop's product line in the yeah. um, Zomortalis for for Necromunda. Um, so, and again, like I think I mentioned this last episode. So, sorry, listeners, to to, to whinge about this again. It's like, as someone that owns quite a lot of Mortalis terrain, it's a bit frustrating that there's this whole new rule set where the missions are very prescribed about how yes. the terrains laid out. It isn't like um, uh, I, I don't know. Like uh.
0: so, so each comp- each component in the set is given a code, like A four, B three, whatever, and and they are literally, you know, this this component here within this space. It, it's 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 not like a sort of typical deployment plan where there's like a vague box of a house somewhere in that quarter of the table
1: yeah and it's like put a door here on this side of the wall put a you know put a, and it's it's very prescribed and i suppose like okay fine i am whinging it's a little bit but actually like what does it allow you to do it allows other players to pick up the uh pick up the book pick up pick up a box they're obviously going to release this terrain i think they've even said it on warhammer community but it, um they're obviously going to release this terrain as a, as a standalone set it allows people to just kind of know exactly where they're going and what they're doing. Um, and I'm sure that they will have um, you know, tested these missions so that they are kind of balanced. Um, what does it mean for me? As like, Am I going to rebuy a whole bunch of very similar-ish uh, corridor terrain? No, absolutely not. Um, however, what I could do quite easily is just rehash the missions for for Mortalis you know, just kind of make it up, you know, given that like the way we play very narrative focused, we're not going to be like going to a, a uh, boarding action match play tournament where the positioning is absolutely spot on, you know, so it doesn't really matter. I suppose like it just knocked me off a little bit.
0: I think for me, we've been spoiled in the, so much of the scenery that we get from GW does kind of line up and pipes and hoses connect and this is the same height as that so yeah you just kind of expect it to be everything seems to be much more interchangeable so it it would kind of you'd kind of hope that it could be i mean i I agree with you I i think if if these games have been tested and the the positions of the doors are important to achieve the missions then if somebody's definitely looking for that, then yes, buying the scenery box set will allow you to do that. I think I think if you're a reasonably experienced player and a narrative player as well, you can infer the mission and build something that's going to suit. So, for example, I'm just going to pick one at random here. So I've got the furnace. So the mission briefing is a vital target has been located with an area converted into a deadly blast furnace. Perhaps the enemy are attempting to cleanse what they deem to be a heretical artifact or which slated for ritual execution. Maybe this area has been booby-trapped against borders or a vital database. Maybe you just simply have dropped in by an officer who was already slain within the furnace grisly confines. Whatever the case, victory will go to those with the nerve to brave the flames and the fortitude to endure them. So it's got some special rules for being inside the furnace. So I I think, you know, it appears to be that a good portion, maybe a third of the table is the furnace. And then you fight inside, fight and go inside that. And hopefully you can um, collect what you need to do. So I think I do agree with you. I I think it's a shame that we've got so prescriptive, Um, but I think, you'll be able to make some cool scenery. I'll be able to make some cool scenery. And plus, you know, there's all the other games that we can make up ourselves, you know, using the background that we've got and the box outs that we've got.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I think like, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to whinge about it too much. Clearly. Um, because the the whole like I, like this hasn't like taken the shine off the race for me. I think it's more of just a personal gripe. Like, oh, for goodness sake, you know, if I want to play, and I think I think for me, like wargamers, we are quite we are sticklers for rules. So I think there is a little part of me that's like, oh, well, I don't want to do it wrong, you know. I'd, yeah. I've I've got this, I've got a terrain, but it's the wrong terrain. It's not the right terrain, <laughs> and it's like it just kind of goes a little bit against kind of like my slightly like I don't know particular way uh, which i think a lot of gamers are a bit like that they're like well the rules say this so it has to be like that i'm like well the, i don't have a3 and a5 i've only got you know a4 and mm-hmm. so yeah never mind never mind but I mean, overall
0: th- that one of the conversations i've had with ben is that the size of these ships you know they're hundreds of miles long they're made up of all sorts of vessels some of which have probably got chapels in it that are a mile wide so you know there's no reason why it all has to be space Hulk, you know, corridor room, corridor room kind of thing. They it could be uh, we're looking to build something that's perhaps like a shuttle bay. So still lots of line of sight brocking with containers and all that sort of stuff. So, you, you know, you get a sense of the game. It's not just one big open space shooting at each other from one side to the other. But it doesn't have to be exactly like this to be fighting within an arc.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Do you know what? I think that's a great point, Steve. Um, you could you could theoretically play on a normal. You could use the kind of like the 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 concept of the rules. I there's a forbidden area that is a furnace. You know, things can happen. There are some rules that go along with it, much like all the Flashpoint rules. You know, you could go underwater. You could do this. Blah. blah, blah you could go into the snowstorm. Yeah. Um, you could use that concept and apply it to a normal 40k battlefield. Uh, maybe add a bit more terrain and just be like, we're going to play a 500 point battlefield, a 500 point game on this quite densely terrained, uh, 40 K battlefield, because this is just like the cathedral area. So I'm going to use all my city fight terrain. People are like, Oh, that doesn't look like a space space Hulk. It's like, well, what does a space Hulk look like? The yeah. whole point we've, we've, we've harked on about how, you know, the space Hulk thing means you could be flexible with how you play and use any race, uh, any faction, whatever. Um, for the same reason you could absolutely do like an orc junk town be like yeah cool just yeah. pretend there's like a low ceiling this is an orc junk town within a space hulk this is yeah. a, a an orc rock or something
0: yeah 100 percent. all right
1: i'm convinced steve i'm convinced well done <laughs> well done you've convinced me i, I take my this back <laughs>
0: no, it's valid but there's ways of there's lots of ways of approaching this but yeah i, I missed opportunity but I, I i think overall for me this is a super solid book and between a new way to play and lots of little story seeds um, is something I want to dive into.
1: Fair, fair, fair. And talking of terrain, um, friend of the show, Gary, from Dark Fantastic Mills is releasing a whole bunch of Chaos terrain at the moment, isn't he? Yes.
0: Yeah, so um, it depends when you're listening to this, but as of 17th of January, um, on Kickstarter, Dark Fantastic Mills are releasing um, Chaos Citadel. So this is a kind of generic system, if you like. So it would be good for fantasy, be good for Lord of the Rings, certainly be good for any chaos forces in the 40k world. Um, And there's going to be a whole mix of stuff. It's going to kick off with a core set, which is your battlements. Um, So, again, we've got plenty of rules to manage that. Um, It will then go into a bastion um and again you know we just need to add some guns to that and you're good to go for 40k and hopefully if it can reach the levels of funding that we're all hoping um there's gonna be a fighting pit Um, so again just perfect and i think you know with a little bit of uh jukari would have a nice fighting pit in there depends how you paint it it would
1: work well for the upcoming world eaters release as well i bet their space Hulk would definitely have a gladiatorial ring
0: yeah 100 percent. so what's going to be on sale is um uh, going to be stl files so this is the first time dark fantastic have done this typically they will sell you the physical model um but we're going to they're trialing uh selling these so if you look out on kickstarter um for chaos citadel um they will be kicking off on the 17th and um yeah, uh, be exciting to see how it goes. Wish Gary luck.
1: We'll uh yeah, absolutely. Gary, uh that, Gary does some some cool terrain. My favorite is the uh the rotten cap mushroom and doom cap mushroom sets. So he uh he has the uh, uh sort of Doom Cap deeps, which works really well for kind of night goblins or or moon clan grots, that kind of vibe. But equally, that could that could also work quite well for a kind of like Death World, you know, whether it's Catachans or Tyranids yeah. or something like that that could work really well and um, when gary's kickstarter launches we will update the the description on uh, on all the various different things with the link and we'll also tweet it from and an instagram and all that usual jazz so yeah check that out by all means you know even if you're not gonna get the actual files themselves by all means you check out it and and, and back it for a dollar or whatever just to, to kind of support it because it's a it's a it's a cool terrain set and um if you do go for it and you do play some games with it, by all means, like send them in to us and we can uh, we can have a look at it, talk about it and stick it up on the social medias. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Right. Uh, Steve, I shall leave you to your Black Templars assembly and I shall yes. uh, go and start tinkering with some Death Guard. Absolutely. And if you want to check out uh, some of our hobby progress, whether it's Black Templars Death Guard or anything like that, you can find us on at AOTI40K on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh we've also launched a YouTube channel as well uh which we're starting to upload some of our podcasts to just audio at the moment and potentially some video content in the future um and you can get hold of me at uh dangermouse425 on Twitter and Steve you are tin racer steve on Twitter are you not I am Wonderful in that case keep calm and crusade on Cheers guys